Welcome back, everybody, to the show, Fuse from the Turnstile. Uh, well, we took a break last week. We were a bit like GWS uh, during the grand final last year. Uh, we went missing. We do apologize for that. Uh, unfortunately, we are very busy uni students. We don't come across it at times, but we are dedicated to our studies. But we thought we'd end the year off on a high note to look back at the grand final, uh, review the year and look at some upcoming trade news. I'm Hamish. I'm joined by my esteemed co-host Finn and Hayden. Uh, Hayden, what did you make of the game last week, and uh, how are you looking forward to the upcoming off season? Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but I think that was probably the most bittersweet game of football I've ever witnessed. With there was just so many iconic moments, and I'm just really sad to see the football season go away now. And um, but there's heaps to look forward to in the trade season. So yeah, no, it'd be good to you know at least have some form of footy leading into the summer. Yeah, I think similar to Hayden, it was a pretty crazy year and that grand final was pretty crazy to top it off. So yeah, I thought it was a good way to finish and hopefully the off-season comes into next year and it'll be good next year of footy as well. Yeah, I think you made a good point there, Hayden, about being sad that the footy's ending because uh, having that elongated wait until a grand final at night kind of reminded me how much of my life revolves around footy, just waiting for it to start. <laughs> but there's only one game to look at this week, and of course it was the grand final over the weekend. The first ever night grand final played at the Gab, and it was the Tigers. Their premiers for the third time in four years, and just really feels like a dynasty's been established right in front of our eyes. And a key architect of that thing is Dustin Martin, his third Norm Smith medal, which is uh, setting a new record, and his third Gary Ayres medal for being the best player in the finals. It just feels like he's cementing his name as arguably the best big game player ever and uh, one of the legends of the game itself. Yeah, I think you're right when you say definitely one of the best um, big game players ever because you look at those last three grand finals that he's played in and the impact that he's had. I think very similar to Saturday, I think he had four goals and 20-something touches in the last one. And again, in the game on Saturday, four goals and 21, he just has such a big impact and he stands up in big moments. He can kick a goal or get a clearance and it's what makes him so special. And I think he was one of the big reasons why the Tigers won. Yeah, no one does it like Dusty, do they? And I think every one of his goals was just spectacular. And kicking four as a midfielder too, it was just sort of cemented the Norm Smith and... I especially love James Brayshaw's reaction on the radio when he just said piss off after witnessing it. Um, but yeah, I also loved how he, he sort of showed that team culture. He, he hid the um, Norm Smith medal under his Guernsey after receiving it. So sort of just shows that, you know, wanted to be one of the team. Yeah, and I think he was the one who encouraged the Tigers to all like kind of hide their premiership medal when they were giving Gary Ablett that great send-off, which we'll talk about later. But certainly felt like he was the difference and I think you were right with that call Hayden or James Brayshaw especially <laughs> at the end that was like he'd already had the Norm Smith medal sewn up so that was just the ultimate icing on the cake and another person who feels like he's just establishing his legacy is Damien Hardwick of course almost sacked a few years ago uh, back in 2016 but Fina obviously you have a great modern coaching great in Alistair Clarkson but Hardwick certainly entering that conversation at the moment. Yeah, definitely, and I think it uh, goes to show how good Clarkson's been. I think Hardwick, one of his uh, pupils coming through that Hawthorne Academy so um, of coaching, so I think the fact that he's been able to win three grand finals has been fantastic, considering where he's come from and um, the position he was, as you mentioned, a few years ago when they were in trouble. Um, I think I heard a quote from Brendan Gale, the Richmond CEO, during the week, um, 
talking about how Richmond, I think it would have been around 2010 when he first became CEO, their goal was to, by this time, become a premiership team and have a certain amount of members and get out of the debt that they were in at that time and they've done it fantastically and to see where they are now really establishing themselves as one of the best teams of the modern era. Yeah, I think that quote, it said free premierships by 2020, so you hit the nail on the head. And I like how Finn uh, not so subtly uh, claimed that those premierships as a Hawthorne yeah. one, just uh, <laughs> cunning under Alistair Clarks, and uh, also the same with Luke Beveridge and Simpson. But I guess looking a bit closer at the game, and it bore a lot of similarities to these two sides' preliminary finals last year. I remember in the chat uh, with the Brisbane and Geelong prelim, I thought it was going to play out like that game, but it turned out the grand final was very similar with Richmond just rallying after half time. And I think it's fair to say, Hayden, while the Tigers were great in their resurgence, Geelong probably left a few opportunities on the table in the first half, particularly that second quarter. Yeah, I think um, you'd think Richmond would definitely had some trouble reforming after losing Vloston. It certainly was a tale of two halves I think that game where um, you know after they lost Vloston in the first two minutes Richmond's back line just had serious issues um, and Geelong certainly got on top of that but didn't make the most of their opportunities and it was funny because the party I was at everyone else was going for Geelong and <laughs> when I remember as it was coming up to the half time in the second quarter and everyone was discounting Richmond saying stuff like oh I mean I wanted Geelong to win, but I didn't want it to be this easy. And I was constantly reassuring everyone that Richmond were just waiting for half time. And as as we all saw, they came out as a new team. So, you know, I guess I was the only one that could see it. But <laughs> yeah, just seeing the future. And I, I think you also are uh, tip Dustin Martin uh, for Norm Smith. So I'm I'm not sure where you got that inspiration from. A uh, bit of an obscure <laughs> choice, but uh, he was certainly one of their best. But I think you'd have to throw. Jaden Short into that category as well. Uh, second in the Norm Smith voting despite uh, Lee Matthews' uh, hiccup. And we also saw he won the best and fairest yesterday, which was a great achievement and he gave a really heartwarming speech. So I don't think his performance should be discounted either, Finn. Yeah, definitely. I think over the last two years, I think he's really become a reliable player off that halfback for Richmond and stands up in the big games as we saw on Saturday. He just controlled the half-back line. And without Vloston, it was really important for them to slow it down back there and have the ball coming out really well. And a lot of their attacks started there where he was just mopping up and linking with guys like Edwards and Dusty, Prestier and Bolton. So I think he does a lot in terms of that team and helps them build a lot of their attacks, as we saw on Saturday. It was a pretty emotional speech, as you said, Hamish. Um, But it was really great to see him come get that reward winning that best and fairest and you know he spoke about losing his dad and having to leave his mum and his sister early in the year to go for the hub so um, it was definitely you know good to see that and you know he was most in the comp for meters gained as well so he certainly um, I think has flown a bit under the radar but no it was really good to see. And the stat I saw the other day is uh youngest least experienced players to win a BNF in a premiership year you have uh, Marcus Fontempelli, uh Josh Kennedy from the Swans Simon Black Chris Jardin Gary Ablett so that's some uh, pretty good company to be in and I'm sure Tigers fans will be hoping you can kind of aspire to those heights and I think one thing that's important to touch on is the start, as uh, you alluded to earlier, Hayden. It's probably the most dramatic start I've seen to a grand final. Of course, it was a nighttime setting, but a bit different. But 
in the one passage of play to see both Flosten and Ablett go down, uh, Flosten being knocked out cold and then the uncertainty about whether Ablett would be able to return in his final game. It, it was pretty dramatic scenes, wasn't it, Hayden? Yeah, it felt like, I don't know, it felt like a fever dream. It just was so unreal. And then just the fact that it occurred within five seconds, like one tackle into another just straight away. Um, and I was certainly worried for Richmond, seeing as Vlosten's impact that he has on that back line, being their main intercept marker. And you could see, as we, I sort of spoke about before, they certainly struggled without him um, as Geelong got on top with their game style of marking. And Vlosten was certainly missed there. And Ablett was just, uh, I don't even know. It was hard to... Did you guys struggle watching him battle on for the rest of the game? It was really, um, really tough seeing that. Yeah, I definitely did, and like even each time he got down, like you could see him clutching his shoulder, and it wasn't like he was necessarily slammed into the turf or tackled. It was just it was pretty clear that he had an injured mm. shoulder, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was uh, dislocated, or fractured, or bruised at the very least. So it was it was a really valiant performance, I thought, and a very tough way to go out, like a nightmare scenario at the start to be injured in your final game, but. It probably limited his impact, but he had that great handball in the second quarter, which was just showing a bit of uh, vintage Ablett flair. Yeah, I think he played with the most passion out of any player on the field. I think um, his team sort of let him down a bit. He was it was very emotional and in- inspirational, and I think we, we talked briefly spoke about you know his guard of honour at the end there and how hard that was watching the end of an era come come <laughs> come about. Yeah, I don't know about you guys, but it definitely hit me a bit because with Ablett, when I really got into footy was around 06 and particularly that 07 season where he announced himself as a superstar of the competition. So it definitely felt weird that seeing a player who I'd followed most of my life and had just been such a great of the game uh, leave like that thin. Yeah, definitely. I think there was a stat I think I read uh, on Saturday, and it was a similar time to when you mentioned around 2007 to potentially around 2012-13, where he was averaging over 30 disposals and uh, 1.5 goals a match, which is ridiculous. Con- oh. Considering that doesn't happen in like the modern day, apart from guys like Neil and Mitchell accumulators, but Ablett was able to do it consistently over a few seasons, and and the transition he's made into a forward as well at Geelong and he's been so important in that team it, it's a fantastic career and um, didn't end the way he wanted it but uh, I think he'd have to be proud of what he's achieved I suppose just on that stat you'd have to expect he would have got a little help from Gold Coast game yeah. plan at the time which it would have been to get it to Ablett so. I mean I think that was also what started his shoulder problem since he had to carry the whole team like, you, you know someone's influential when they put down missing the finals in 2014 and the downfall of the club to one player yeah. being injured it just speaks to how much he was carrying that side I, I guess looking at the game and some other influential players I thought Bolton and Edwards were great for Richmond and they both I think featured in the Norm Smith votes while Duncan and Stewart, they were probably neck and neck for the Norm Smith in the first half, and Menegola were also pretty influential. Uh, Hayden, did you think those guys were probably the best on, and were there some other players for Geelong? You alluded to the fact that they might have let Ablett down a bit, who didn't necessarily have their best game on the big stage. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I would put Duncan, I would have put him up for the norm if had they won. And I think Stewart probably got a bit of help in that first half when Richmond were sort of really struggling to find their form again, bombing it into 
defense and Stewart just sort of ran rampant with that and obviously like you said Manigola was very influential but in terms of their other players it's it's hard because yeah Hawkins people were talking about Lynch's influence on the game but Hawkins likewise didn't have a great one either and um, there's there's been a lot of discussion too on uh, Dangerfield on whether he stayed up forward too long instead of moving into the midfield what was your take on that Finn? Yeah, I, I think you're definitely right. He might have had too much time up forward. I think he only ended up with the 12 touches and a goal. So potentially he was rattled and maybe a bit shook after that first quarter collision with Vlosten. But uh, with a player of his calibre not having an impact on that game, I think it really hurt the Cats. And you look at other guys in their team that really didn't have an impact that have been have been able to influence games all season. Like you mentioned Hawkins, who really struggled. Um, down forward, Rowan and Parfit, and they, I don't think they got over seven or eight touches and there was other guys there who have had good seasons that weren't able to influence the game where Richmond had a lot of contributors which um, really helped them in the end. Yeah, I'd probably throw Blitzarfs into that ring as well. Um, I'm sure we could probably name a few others but yeah, just didn't didn't sort of match the intensity that Richmond brought. Yeah, I just got the team sheet out here to kind of run rule through them, <laughs> but I definitely agree with you there. Like, I thought Blixars was uncharacteristically fumbly, got caught holding the ball a few times. With Gary Rowan, it's a tough one because I've heard some people say he did a defensive forward job on uh, Dylan Grimes. I've said that Grimes just shut him out, so I think it depends who you ask, but... It's tough for him because he has a reputation of not performing in big games, especially grand finals, and that just adds to that list. But I thought one Cats player who was uh, really good and another who looks likely that he's going to retire after the grand final is Harry Taylor, and Lynch did start to uh, have an influence in the final quarter, but... I thought for the first three quarters, he absolutely uh, blanketed him thin and a really uh, strong performance to have if it is his final game. Yeah, definitely for that first half, I think Taylor was all over Lynch and Bolter down there on Rewalt. They did a really good job because I think they were able to control that um, that Richmond forward line um, for that first half and let Stewart mop up. And after half timing, they lost a bit of control as Richmond were able to get more of the ball in there. But... I think, yeah, it sums up Taylor's career. He's been so consistent for so long. Um, he's been able to have those stints down forward as well where he's able to hit the scoreboard as a key forward and then go down back and do a job. I think so consistent and so reliable. He could be a big loss for Geelong heading into next season if he retires. Who was actually playing on Rewalt? Because you just said Bolsa. <laughs> oh, was that... <laughs> Henderson, probably. Henderson, uh, yeah. yeah. And I think yeah. they did a good job overall, but uh, what did you think, Caden? Yeah, I was just going to say, I think Harry Taylor's done a really good job on all the key forwards this year. Um, he was really influential covering Charlie Dixon in that Port Adelaide game. And I think he has been a bit um, undervalued, really. Um, but looking back and reviewing this game, it sort of shows his true sort of power on those key forwards, even given his age. But I think it just shows he's got such a great... Uh, football craft that he brings that he doesn't need to be overly athletic yeah absolutely I, I think the one shame is he probably couldn't carry some ham in his uh, socks because of COVID rules like <laughs> if all his like uh, premierships and all Australian selections that's probably the lasting legacy he'll leave on me but 
I guess summing up this game because it was a really competitive and engrossing grand final. Uh, even though I'm sure it would hurt to be a Cats fan right now, it's hard to see them taking a backwards step. Just looking at their history and also uh, some of the news we'll touch on later while Richmond, uh, they've already won free, but it's hard to see them stopping anytime soon, Finn. Yeah, I think so. I think their team's just so good and they've got so many players there that are young and they can keep contributing and we've got players who seem to be able to replace roles consistently guys who they can bring in and play a role so I don't think there's any worry for Richmond and they look like they're going to be able to keep building and even when we saw this year when they had down patches they were just rebound and even though they didn't finish in that top two I think we still said on the podcast that they were one of the stronger teams in the comp and that came to fruition on Saturday and I think similar to Geelong we talked about them as one of the stronger teams so I don't think there's any worry with them, and especially with Geelong rumoured about getting Cameron, I think that could be pretty dangerous for them next year. Yeah, looking at the big picture, I don't see the top eight changing too much next year, um, given the form that we've seen and the trades that are expected to happen, like Cameron going to Geelong only bolsters Geelong and throws GWS further down, and um, I can only maybe see Collingwood or Bulldogs or St Kilda dropping out with Melbourne, Carlton or Frio moving in. I don't think there's any real other competitors at least that we can expect yeah no i guess it's also a bit hard to ascertain in what's been a really peculiar season and some clubs seeming to adapt to hub life better than others and it's probably no better represented than these two clubs who were on the road for over 100 days but as we didn't get to touch on last week were able to win prelim finals uh at their opponent's home grounds and uh as you guys uh touched on both had a really strong campaign this year uh, but that's all our thoughts on the grand final. So we have a bit of house cleaning to do before we take a break. And, uh, well, uh, really the Premiership Cup is, it might as well be the Wizard Cup to what's coming up next because it's the tipping update. And uh, we have our final scores for the year, even though we did admit on the podcast that it was all over. But uh, I came in third with 49, Hayden finished second with 54, and... Uh, Finn, who shot the lights out all year, was on top with 59. So, uh, Finn, how do you feel about taking out the tipping for this season? Yeah, um, honoured to be awarded the uh, tipping award. Um, it was a tough year. I think uh, we, we all uh, we do, were able to do some good tips throughout the year, but uh, just got you guys in the end, and um, I'll be looking forward to continuing that form next season. Yeah, I feel like I was robbed. Hamish threw around a joke that... Uh... The final grand final was worth 10 points and considering uh, Finn tipped Geelong on that one, I feel like I should have came out on top. But, uh, no, it was a good season. Um, a uh, very noble win there, Finn. And uh, yeah, no, it was very fun. I think Finn actually tipped Richmond. Uh, I could be wrong, Finn. I think, uh, I, think I tipped Richmond, yeah. <laughs> yeah, because he went Nan Curvis, uh, Norm Smith. Yeah. Uh, uh, I mean, I would... I guess just, just disregard whatever I just said <laughs> then. I mean, I think the sad thing is, even if I, it had hypothetically been worth 10 points, I would have only beaten uh, Finn by one if it came into effect. So, And I wasn't even sure when I made the statement that I'd be able to catch him. So just speaks to either Finn's dominance or my stupidity for trying to tip with narrative and Collingwood a few times this season <laughs> but uh to finish off we have the highest rating segment on this show which is the hot take uh, I'm gonna finish it off this time and even though it is the hot take segment it might be going a bit more kind of neutral or mild-mannered because I think one thing that's been clear on this podcast is while we've had some good 
calls, uh, some bad calls, which are probably mainly on my side as represented by my tipping record. Uh, nobody should really take our take seriously, even if we're not trying to be uh, kind of speculative or headline grabbing as uh, represented from this grab from the first episode. I don't really think Tigers are that much of a con- contender anymore, and I think they kind of showed that in last week's game. I don't know. What do you think, Finn? Yeah, it's, uh, probably with all the Richmond's injuries, it's hard to really probably place them as a genuine contender. So that was from the first episode <laughs> of this podcast. Jeez. No, that's a that's a construction. I, I, I don't think that actually happened. <laughs> Um, the voice actors. Hamish has obviously st- strewn together th- some of our uh, some of our words to make us say that. But in our defence, um, Richmond were missing a fair amount of players at that time, and they didn't look like the same team they were leading into finals. So I guess we ate our words on that one. And I wasn't trying to make myself better. Like I didn't disagree with it. I didn't agree with it. But like as I said, with my tipping record, it's not trying to say I'm trying to get any high ground on people, but we all tipped the Bulldogs in that game and uh, Richmond only went on to lose two games from that point, of course, against Port Adelaide and against Brisbane. So, as I said, even when we're trying to be serious, uh, we have some pretty bad calls also to add to our calls of uh, relocating free Victorian clubs, uh, pretty much sacking every coach in the league. But... (laughs) It's been a bit of fun this year doing this podcast and doing that segment, but it shows we don't always have the best footy brain at times. That's all we have for the start of the show. We're going to take a quick break and then look at some of the news heading into the off-season. So let's see. The Coleman medal, 75 to his name. He'd love a 76th. You know what? Right. He's got it. Jeremy Cameron's kicked the first goal of the 2019 Grand Final. You can write it down. Welcome back to the show, everyone. The AFL season's finished, but now uh, what some people call the real season is starting, or as I think Finn appropriately called it a couple of weeks ago, silly season. It is free agency and draft period, and we kick off with probably the biggest news of last week. You know news is big when it's the first headline uh, in grand final week. It's fair to say this is going to be a pretty ominous duo going forward, these two players sharing the same 50. So I'll start with you, Finn. Uh, what do you make of uh, Sam Frost and Carl Hardigan teaming up with each other next year? <laughs> yeah, I, I do like it. I think Hardigan brings a, a massive presence to our back line. And with Frost Bowl back down there, we could see a bit of Hardigan Bowl as well, which I'm really looking forward to. So, yeah, I'm excited. I do think it was a good signing. And I wonder if Jeremy Cameron and Tom Hawkins would have linked up if they know those two were teaming up. But, of course, <laughs> the big news... Uh, Tom Hawkins and Jeremy Cameron are going to team up after Cameron made the shocking announcement that he'd be leaving GWS, the club where he's been the leading goal kicker each year of their existence to join the Cats. Uh, I don't know about you, Finn. This had been rumoured for a while, but I was still really shocked when this news came through uh, last Monday. Yeah, definitely. Um, it was actually interesting because I was re-listening to uh, the podcast from two weeks ago, and I think it was there was a little bit of talk about Cameron leaving, and I think it might have been GWS saying that he was expressing his interest to leave. And Hayden had mentioned, along with you, I think that Geelong were interested, and then I'd go, I went onto social media and I saw that he had requested a trade to Geelong. So it was interesting. Um, it's a big blow for GWS, especially after a poor year, and it just adds another layer to that Geelong forward line. And Hawkins, Cameron up forward, I think that's one of the best 
forward line duos in the comp along with um, Lynch and Rewalt. Yeah, I like that you added that. It gives us a bit more credibility to some yeah. of the stuff that goes on in this podcast. Um, it is quite um, funny to see AFL's love child falling apart at the seams in GWS. You know, they've had, I think it's six players at this stage have already requested a move and they were always going to struggle with salary cap issues. And given their form of recent years, not breaking through finals and then after that that atrocious performance in the 2019 grand final I don't think it's any surprise so Geelong have three first round draft picks and I'd expect GWS to want to at least snag two of them Um, they've got to replace some of those six players so I don't think they really want draft picks they probably would prefer to get players so they might use those elsewhere I reckon you're probably right then. Even I think uh, that afternoon when Cameron uh, announced that he was going to explore free agency, they had the GWS's CEO on, whose name escapes my mind at the moment. He might have been the president. But the point is, he said, well, uh, Trelaw and Shield were worth two fa- first-round picks and key forwards are hard to come by, though. So he's pretty clearly alluding to the fact that he wants two first-rounders and then something a lot of talk about whether it could be that third first rounder that Jalon have or even Brandon Parfit or Radigalier who Jalon don't seem to be too interested in uh, getting involved in the deal but I guess you touched on it Hayden but Finn what do you think this does for GWS they've lost a foundational player and arguably their most recognizable player as well in a the youngest club in the AFL and it just leaves a really big hole in their forward line, which you wonder if the likes of uh, Finlayson, and Himmelberg and Riccardi will be able to fill. Yeah, I think you mentioned those three, um, Riccardi, Finlayson and Himmelberg. I don't think they'll, they'll be able to replace Cameron or at least match his potential output because I think they've re- they've usually been playing the second and third roles behind Cameron and whether they're ready to step up into that key forward role, I'm not sure. I think if the deal does go through... The Giants will have enough trade picks to go after someone else or whether they draft another tall forward. But it seems that whenever they draft someone, they usually end up leaving. So you look at the guys like Caldwell and Haitley who are leaving this year and guys like Bonner and other guys who have left in the previous years. I think it seems to be a lot of their talent does go due to a lot of lack of opportunities or because you look at Sheil and Trelaw and Cameron because they have better offers elsewhere so I think it'll be interesting whether they draft or go after another tall forward because I think they will need to replace him yeah definitely and I think the fact that they lost both Williams and Cameron because it kind of seemed like they were willing to lose Williams to retain Cameron so you almost wonder if they'd known that in advance if they would have kind of sought after Williams a bit more but I guess the one positive for Geelong, it was going to be a good narrative either way coming out of the grand final. You either have a premiership and you add Jeremy Cameron or you lose, but then you get him to go to the next level along with Higgins. But another really interesting story that's emerged over the past couple of days is Josh Dunkley being courted by Essendon. We know they already got Jai Coldwell to request a trade to the club, but the impression is that he's actually interested in going just the lure of a bigger deal, uh, more midfield time, not having to go into the ruck, and even the Dons possibly picking up his brother Carl, who was on Melbourne's list. Uh, Hayden, what have you made of this situation? He is contracted for two more years, and the Dogs have been pretty firm in their stance, but definitely looms as an interesting prospect. Yeah, it's funny because I, I can't see it happening. Just Dunkley's so pivotal to the Bulldogs' midfield squad, and I'm not sure that the lure of his brother Kyle would 
be enough to sort of sway him to come and I think uh, the talk is now that Essendon have offered him 650k for four to five years and given that he's still contracted as you mentioned for two years I just don't really see it happening. And I guess the other factor here is uh, Essendon might probably have a few picks with Danaher and Saad leaving but Thin, it's probably not going to be as useful to them since they have uh, Jamar Ugelhagen, who's ranked by many as the top prospect in this year's draft. So even if he isn't bid on with the first pick, uh, he'll probably be bid with uh, second or third coming after that. So the Dogs are in a position where they're actually looking to get rid of their first round pick, not bringing a bump since they're anticipating a bid for him. Yeah, I guess that's fair enough that the dogs um, will refuse a trade and have heard a lot of rumours about, um, is it Oogle Hayden? Oogle Hayden? Yeah, Oogle Hayden. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Just um, rolls off the tongue. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> easy name. I think rumoured is the next Buddy Franklin, just that tall forward, and I think he'd be really handy for the dogs if they can develop him. But I think going back to Dunkley, it's almost with that uh, the midfield depth. We've, I think we've talked about that and how that depth might be the best in the league. Dunkley was almost forced out of that role um, that he had last year as one of those inside midfielders by the emergence of um, Bailey Smith and uh, forced him into the ruck and playing down forward. So I think if Hessen were to give him more more money and more midfield minutes along with potentially giving his brother a lifeline, it would be something that he could jump at. Yeah, you could definitely see why he'd be interested in that sort of deal playing in the ruck and even at centre-half forward at times. Uh, not what you want as an inside <laughs> midfielder, but... Another midfielder who's attracting a lot of attention. This is one where not sure how much journalistic integrity and kind of unbiased I can be because it affects the pies. And it's the noise surrounding Adam Trelaw and the fact that it now seems to be pretty widely accepted that Collingwood want to get rid of him to free up salary cap space. Uh, I have some strong feelings on this, but I know you do too, Hayden. What have you kind of made of how this has all played out? Because it's certainly developed ever since there was that kind of initial trade room a couple of weeks ago yeah that's it's, it's it's turned pretty messy to say the least and it just seems like Collingwood are using the excuse that just because his girlfriend's moving away that he'd want to go to so um, I do like that he sort of made them accountable for you know, telling them that they needed to tell him whether they wanted him to go or not um, and I think given their salary cap issues they might have be better off offloading someone like Dugowie who is entertaining other offers and there is there has been talk that with Gold Coast they'd probably want to take uh, trade pick five for Trelaw or whether that's too much or not but um, as you said you've got some pretty strong feelings is there anything you wanted to add to that? Yeah it's just been a really weird situation because when it first came out I thought like it's the media kind of beating up this slight link. And when he came out pretty categorically and said, you know, I'm contracted, I want to stay. It was a pretty strong statement. But then as people noted, like, while it was pretty clear he wanted to stay, it wasn't necessarily that the club wanted him to stay either. It's it's just a really weird and I think sad situation, not only how we've treated him, but just the situation in general where it seems like with our salary cap, we have to just upload off offload him sorry straight up to uh, try and create room to keep everyone and yeah it's just I think it's a bad way to treat him especially after he signed a contract extension just last year and I mean it isn't a good way to treat him and considering that the club's like gone after Tom Lynch and Jeremy Cameron in the past it's hardly going to be attractive to any players either 
re-signing now or thinking about going to the club in the future, knowing that the club's willing to offload a player like him who's pretty hard and soul, uh, bleeds black and white just because it uh, kind of suits the circumstances they're in at the moment. Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head with that one just because just because it suits the circumstances doesn't mean it's the right thing to do and it, like, it, it does reflect pretty poorly on the club. Yeah, and like even the line in the Tom Morris article, which I think for many is like what really kind of put it on the agenda that this is happening. There was some line saying that uh, Trelaw had been told not only that, you know, they didn't want him anymore, but he was difficult to coach at mm, times. With no, no further comment on it either. Yeah, and like the club has been silent, which also kind of adds to the fact that you think there is some legs to this, that they're not acknowledging it because... If it wasn't true, you'd think they'd hit it on the head pretty quickly. But it just seemed weird because, to me, he's always been the ultimate professional. Like, people say, I'll mention his hamstrings a lot. Well, he's rehabbed really well from them each time. Like, I remember back in 2018 when people thought he was done for the season and he rehabbed so meticulously that he got back for the first final. And even looking at someone like Degoe, who I can understand why you keep him because I think if he can capture his potential, then he's potentially a superstar of the game. But beyond all of his off-field issues that have been well-documented, a lot of people feel he turns up unfit most preseason. So it's kind of like, if you call Trelaw difficult to coach, then like, what do you call someone like Degoe? I think you've given the most extensive uh, portfolio of the Trelaw. Yeah, that was a good coverage. <laughs> situation to date, I think. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess tying it off, and I'll bring you into this thing, is that I guess one of the reasons and probably thinking about getting rid of him is all the players they have out of contract up. Moore and Dacos have re-signed, and Dugowie is expected to, but my check still remains unsigned, and there's also murmurings that Tom Phillips and Mason Cox could make way as well uh, to kind of free up that salary cap space. Yeah, I think you've covered it really well, but um, those players that you do mention there, I think more at Dacos are really good re-signings, um, and with Degoe expected to, I think he's a really crucial player as well, but the rumours of that salary cap space um, potentially forcing out these guys, I think Phillips is, can be a really damaging player for Collingwood, and I think he'd be well sought after by other teams, and I would have thought he'd be a priority re-signing along with Majacek and Trelaw, so whether it is a problem with the salary cap or there's something going on behind the scenes there, it's uh, unsure, but it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. Yeah, it's a really weird one because Phillips actually is contracted, but I think probably the emergence of day costs has made them think that he's a bit expendable, but I, I can certainly see a lot of clubs being interested in him, and there was the news yesterday that the Bulldogs were interested in Mason Cox, reported on Trade Radio which was disputed today by another source on trade radio. So it probably speaks <laughs> about kind of all the uh, bells and whistles you get at this time of year. But I think uh, we need to get rid of the Collingwood Nuffy in me and move on to another deal, which is confirmed that Brad Crouch wants to head to St Kilda. Uh, Hayden, do you think this is a A-grade midfielder that the Saints need? We alluded to the fact that we thought they needed to beef up that midfield and Crouch is certainly a good player, but has had his injury issues and, of course, that off-field indiscretion that soured a lot of clubs on him. Yeah, it's an interesting position to be in, given that he's 27, so he'd be around the time of his the peak of his career. But it is it is interesting for St Kilda, given the amount of trading they did last, last year to sort of bolster that midfield. And it's hard to see who they might use, sort of push out 
to get him in there. Um, I was interested to hear your guys' thoughts on that. I think um, Crouch, I think he, we've seen him his form at St Kilda. I think he can be a really damaging player. And I think the Saints did need another midfielder to go in there to help the likes of Steele and Jones. So I think whether they push out another player or Crouch just comes straight in, because we saw them chasing another midfielder in Caldwell. So I, I still think they're probably missing one more, depending on how Hannabry's fitness goes. If he can stay fit, I think they'll be okay. But they potentially need one more midfielder to go in there because I think they they are missing that depth that the other top teams have, and I think that was one of the reasons why they couldn't progress further than they did this year. Yeah, I think you're right there, and I guess on your question, Hayden, I think Luke Dunstan, who didn't play this year for injury, a lot of people think he could be moving on. There was even talk about whether he could be heading back Adelaide's way as a way to like kind of manipulate the free agency trade compensation though that's a bit up in the air at the moment but I did find it interesting like a lot of Saints fans seem to be pretty apathetic to the news but were then really upset that they miss Coldwell like I certainly think Crouch with his injury issues and that uh, drug suspension he does have his issues but he's the best and fairest winner and if nothing else, you know what you'll get from him each week. He's a big midfield bull, so I found it funny that some Saints fans were upset about getting him, but thought, uh, why have we missed out on this 10-game player? Like, Certainly, if you're looking for guaranteed midfield kind of depth and progression, I think he's your go. And I'm sure one thing you're happy about, Hayden, is some of the rumours uh, surrounding Melbourne, kind of as opposed to Collingwood, because... They seem to be the club keenest on Ben Brown at the moment. They've talked to him. If they haven't done a medical, they're going to do one. So he looks like he could be a really good option to kind of uh, bolster that forward line, which has been an issue the last couple of seasons. Yeah, I think they have done the medical. I could be wrong about that, but I'm very on the fence about this one. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that his marking style fits with Melbourne. Um, I think he's quite a one-dimensional player in that he only can sort of get those lead-up marks, and other than that, he's not all that um, sort of dynamic. And there was talk about Melbourne's already got Tom McDonald, who still has two years left on the contract, and whether they offload him and his brother Oscar, who's out of contract. But um, they've already sort of got Mitch Brown, who they picked up last year, and they've got developing youth in Sam Wiedemann and Luke Jackson. So I think unless he sort of goes cheap... Considering his age, I think he's 30, he's sort of only a short-term solution. And I think Melbourne would be better off chasing uh, Brody Majacek from Collingwood, who's going out of, uh, out of contract at the end of the season. And that was Gary Lyon that suggested that. I think he's um, on the money with that one. No, I think you've still got the beards from Saturday, Hayden. Uh, nobody needs to go after Majacek, just... Little interest, <laughs> just let Collingwood re-sign him. He's a Tassie boy, so I don't want him to leave. But I found your thoughts on Ben Brown interesting because obviously I don't know Melbourne's list probably as well as you do. But from the outside, I think he'd be a really good fit. While he is one-dimensional, he is proven until this year where he had injury, off-field issues, and just played in a really bad north side every other year. I think he either kicked, almost kicked 60 goals each season. He had the most goals uh, over the last three seasons prior to this year. So I'm interested to hear what you th think, Finn, especially since the Hawks are looking at Isaac Smith as well. But do you think uh, Brown and Smith are the kind of players who they need? 
Yeah, I I think uh, the one with Brown, I think whichever club that he goes to, they're going to have to rejig their forward line to adapt with him because I think you see with North Melbourne and the way they played with him in the past, he was, as you mentioned, Hayden, just a hit up forward and keeping that forward line open for him to lead into and as Hamish said, he'll kick his 60 goals. So I think he'd be a good trade and if Melbourne are able to do that and get him in there and have that Brown in there and have Wiedemann as that developing tool as well, whether Tom McDonald stays and is able to take the pressure taken off him as a key forward and or traded somewhere else, I think that's a good move for him. And then I think Isaac Smith, I think I'd be happy to see him leave Hawthorne. He's been a great servant to the club and I think we've got other guys coming through in his position and with his age, I think 32, maybe a bit older than that. Um, he's ready to move on and or find another club. So I think... Um, He'd be a good trade for Melbourne with a bit more outside run. Yeah, I've heard talk of Geelong showing interest in Isaac Smith. I think we spoke briefly about that two weeks ago, so that also complicates things. Yeah, definitely. You'd think with Managola, Duncan and uh, young Jordan Clark coming through that they'd be pretty well set. Like, <laughs> don't seem to want any other clubs uh, to have any players, and it does make me think of what are they doing with the salary cap down there at the Cattery. It's... Pretty insane. Uh, I I would like to see Ben Brown at North Melbourne, if nothing else. So uh, Gary Lyon and Hayden don't get Brody Meyer check because that would truly uh, send me into a meltdown. Uh, Quad Silly is a crucial part of the Pies forward line, and he's a Tasmanian boy. But uh, speaking of Melbourne forwards, uh, one who's at the Dockers is Jesse Hogan, and Bowl reports are. The Dockers want to get him out. The uh, report I saw today from San Edmund suggested that not only are they willing to let him go on the cheap, but they could even pay part of his salary and not ask for too much in return. Uh, a lot of clubs have apparently shown interest, obviously differing levels, but the main ones have been mentioned are GWS and Sydney, of course, looking to bolster their tall Ford stocks. And even today, apparently the Tigers uh, have shown a bit of interest just backing in their culture to hopefully get Hogan uh, back on the career trajectory he showed. I guess Hayden, as someone who watched Hogan closely when he was at Melbourne, uh, what do you think of this development? Yeah, look, I love him as a player. Um, I think a lot of clubs, though, would be hesitant to pick him up, um, just given his injury history with the, I believe it was the ankle, and that he stepped away from the game for mental health reasons. And I think he only played about 11 games in two years. I could be wrong with that, but... He did underperform quite a bit. And as you said about the um, the team showing interest in him, and um, I think Freo are willing to pay some of that 650k salary that he's on at the moment. So given that that is an option, clubs might be show some more interest because they might get him quite cheaply. So um, how do you think about it, Finn? Yeah, I think similar to you, I think Fremantle chased him pretty hard. And obviously he's had those off-field issues and those injuries, which have been really unfortunate for him. Um, and it is interesting that Fremantle were that keen to offload him. But I think if you can get his injuries right, he's obviously such a damaging player. I think the Tigers' interest is interesting because I think have, already having Lynch and Rewalk down forward, I, think, I don't know whether that add Hogan as another forward or potentially as a defender where I think he's been trialled by Freo. That could be really interesting. So, yeah, interesting to see what happens with him. Yeah, I definitely want to keep him up in the forward line. But as you say, with Lynch and Rewalt, who do you, who do you sort of move around there? But um, whether that's yeah, just just an idea floating around, whether it comes to terms or not. But 
Yeah, it's hard to know how much in like how much to believe at this time of year, but I guess the way it was framed is with Rebolt potentially retiring in two years and Hogan still twenty five, you have Hogan coming into his prime as Revolt leaves and I can kind of picture the Tigers with their culture turning him into a Coleman medalist. Uh, like you, Hayden, I'd be interested in him at the Pies, but I think as you alluded to, especially with what happened with uh, Dame Beams, probably we'd be one of the clubs who w- would certainly approach with a lot of caution and considering uh, some of the issues he's had. But to finish off this segment, uh, we'll touch on Port Adelaide, who of course came so close to making the grand final. And Ken Hinckley has said that they're not looking to do too much this trade period, as opposed to recent years where they brought in a lot of picks and moved on some senior players. But uh, it's already been confirmed that Fantasia, he wants to head to Port. Of course, there was some interest last year. And the one I find interesting is that they're trying to get a Lear Lear kind of in that West off role and potentially to add some height to their back line. Uh, I think, what do you make of these moves? And do you think it could take a side? It was just a goal away from a grand final, uh, just take them that extra step. Yeah, I, I think that definitely could be because you look at those two players in um, Fantasia and Alir Alir, they're two players that can fill roles that I think Port Adelaide may have lacked um, last year, when this year when they were heading towards that grand final spot. I think since Wingard departed, they're probably lacking that really good small forward. I think we saw Motlock can do it in patches. But I think Fantasia has been a proven forward at um, Essendon. I think he would be a really good um, acquisition by Port. And definitely a Lear down back to help out the likes of Jonas and Cleary. And replacing Westhoff as well, who's been such a good player for such a long time. I think those could be two really good additions for Port Adelaide. I mean, you could even throw Hogan into that ring for Port Adelaide, considering that... They, they have been pretty reliant on Charlie Dixon, Todd Marshall, and Mitch Geordiard. Geordie, yeah, you're right. Um, <laughs> I think that he'd certainly be a pretty good pickup if they got him for cheap. Um, and, and I think he would definitely bolster their forward line just for some reassurance in the future. And I, I know Kane Corns was speaking about Ken Hinckley's history with being able to help players with off-field issues in... Uh, Zach Butters and Sam Pepper, so I think he's also another good option that they they should definitely look at. Yeah, I forgot to mention that one earlier because it was race, and I think it would be a good fit both Hogan if he was to go there, but also Alili and Fantasia. And I guess the sweet spot there is because they have so much youth that probably a lot of the improvement is just going to naturally come with Butters. Uh, Rosie, Dersma, and even some of the players like you mentioned, Jordi Artis and. They had uh, three, sorry, two first round picks and one taken early in the second round uh, from last year's draft who didn't even play this year. So they're very well set up at the moment, Port. So I think they've got a lot going for them. But uh, some other topics we'll quickly cover to finish off. Of course, uh, the news came out a couple of weeks ago that Reece Shaw and North Melbourne are Shaw was taking some time away from the club to deal with some personal issues. But uh, the news came out last week that Shaw and North had mutually decided to part ways. Uh, obviously, this is a really personal and delicate situation, and we send our regards to Reshaw and his family. But I guess the reality that the Kangaroos now face is that they uh, need to find a new head coach, Finn. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, obviously, it's a tough situation to comment on. But I think what it means for the Kangaroos going forward, um, another coach needs to be found. And we've talked about how their playing lists 
isn't probably where they would like it to be at and where it needs to be to challenge for a top eight spot. Um, whether they go after an experienced coach or go after someone new like they did when they first appointed Shaw, um, that'll be interesting. Um, I don't know what coaches are available on the market at the moment. Um, do you have anyone in mind you think that they might go after? I could throw in some names. I saw the most ludicrous being um, Ross Lyon and uh, Mick Malthouse. So, <laughs> um, <laughs> But I think uh, Michael Voss is probably in the box seat for it. Um, he joined Port as their midfield manager in 2015 and that was following a five-year senior coaching at Brisbane and as a player he's also got those three premierships of Brownlow and five All-Australians on his resume so I think he's probably the one um, people expect um, would be in the best position to take it uh, whether you've got anyone else in mind Hamish. Yeah it's an interesting one because certainly Foss was the one most people were leading with but I remember there was that interview because he was on special comments for the grand final when they asked Foss about it of course and he said it was probably more unlikely at this stage they would be interested if it came out but I certainly think their focus should be more towards experience we've seen the success of the likes of uh obviously Chris Fagan and Ben Radden getting a second chance at coaching and I think probably one of the things that made it really tough for Reshaw was just that he was very inexperienced in the coaching ranks and fell into a situation where there wasn't a lot of support around him and a lot of instability at the club. So one name I liked was the idea of uh, possibly getting Gary Ayres, who of course had coaching stints at Adelaide and Geelong in the AFL, but he's been coaching Port Melbourne in the Fairfell to great success. So I'm not sure if it would even be in the senior coaching role or more advisory, but just his experience uh, jumping over from the VFL would be good. And I think there's also a lot of news that Paul Ruse will probably be involved at least in the coaching search and maybe in a kind of guiding role afterwards, which would be good for anyone who's appointed. But just before we wrap up, we'll quickly touch on the Brownlow. Uh, it was a pretty much a faded complete early on. Uh, Lockie Neal won it and in one of the most dominant performances we've seen, 31 votes in a shortened season. Uh, if it had been 22 games, he would have polled 40. I'm interested to get your thoughts, Hayden, because you said earlier that you didn't think Lockie Neal was that good. And I, I kind of got what you were alluding to there because this is kind of the Dustin Martin, Nat Fife, Patrick Dangerfield dominant season but do you think kind of the folks he polled uh, reflected how good his season was <laughs> we do like to have a laugh don't we uh, <laughs> yeah he polled up uh, max votes in 10 of his 17 games this season but I, I suppose you got to really commend him he's not the fastest or the biggest midfielder he's not you know he doesn't really rope into that the idea of that conventional midfielder but He's just got such an excellent footy brain and who just always cleanly uses the ball and consistently affects the scoreboard. Um, I think he's just such a star player for that reason. Um, and it was it was also funny to see Patrick Cripps scoring Carlton's highest at 10, yet he wasn't nominated by his team for the MVP award. So I don't know how that <laughs> that happened, but I think that maybe that was the biggest robbery of this year. I guess what did you make of it, Finn? Because I almost look at his season as kind of more dominant version of what Tom Mitchell did in 2018. Like, both of them are probably associated with being accumulators, but it felt like Neil took his game to the next level, just having a bit more of an impact up forward and uh, developing his kicking a bit more as well. 
Yeah, I think when you look at Mitchell's season, he was able to accumulate a lot of the ball, similar to Neil, but I don't think he was able to hit the scoreboard as much, which Neil was able to do really consistently. And I think averaging 1.82 votes a game, that's absolutely crazy, almost two votes a game, which has him up there in one of the... And I think he said he would have polled um, 40-something 40, 40 votes if, he, if a full season had have happened, so... And I think it was summed up by him also winning the coaches and players MVP. So I think that just goes to show the amount of respect the players and coaches have for him and the amount of the impact he had this season. I guess, to be fair, if you do think that the season was at that 22 games, you'd expect that Brisbane would have to play a top, top eight side four more times. So whether that would influence his performance or not, but you'd expect he'd probably stand up to the challenge. Yeah, and the other thing you have to keep in mind is because of the uh, Q clash, they get to play Gold Coast twice. So that <laughs> also uh, would have... I mean, and with Matt Rowell injured, who polled three votes uh, in three games, so he got nine, uh, that could also have been some more easy votes, but certainly a very impressive accomplishment in a shortened season. But uh, that's all we have for not only this show, but for the year... Credit us always to Kevin McLeod for the Son District 4. You can find it link in the description. It's the intro and outro Son. And to Fox Footy and Channel 7 for uh, the commentary audio used. Uh, well, it's been a lot of fun putting this show together. We were able to do it every week for the uni semester. We had to take a week off focus on some uni work. But we've come back to hopefully wrap it up in a fitting style. I uh, don't know about you guys, but I've really enjoyed doing it this season and uh, can't wait to see what's to come. Yeah, definitely. I've really enjoyed it as well. It's been a really good experience uh, doing the podcast every week and it's been an interesting season to comment on a few interruptions, but uh, I think the grand final really summed it up with a really good game and be able to review it. And um, yeah, hopefully there's a good off-season, a few trades and a few new look teams next year and um, hopefully the Hawks get up there back again. So, yeah. <laughs> Yes, thank you for joining us through the highs and lows this year. And given that it was such a strange year for footy with the COVID, it was sort of nice to be able to connect with you guys and the fans as well and, you know, keep the footy world all connected. So hopefully things sort of go back to normal next year and we get the grand final back at the MCG. (laughs) 